Welcome back to Ever Ancient, Ever New, the podcast in which we search for the hidden gems and the ancient treasures of our faith. I'm Father Kyle Kowalsik, your host here, as always, with Jeremy Darling, and uh, we got a we got a we got a fun one today. I hope so. <laughs> um, so this is this is why this is on my my mind. Um, uh, so I have a I have a brother in law. Who's kind of fallen into some set of contest um, arguments, and uh, you know he was he was actually a Protestant. He was actually a convert to Catholicism oh. um, just several years ago, and uh, and now he's kind of he's kind of fallen into the set of argumentation and kind of being persuaded by them a little bit. So I've been looking into it to try to help my brother-in-law along, and we can say whatever we want about my brother-in-law, by the way, because. He'll never listen to this podcast because <laughs> I was just gonna ask <laughs> because he's actually deaf. He can't he can't listen to podcasts. So oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, my sister might though. So let's let's be charitable. Okay. <laughs> no, no. He's 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 a good guy, and you know I think part of his struggle is, and maybe maybe you can relate with this. He said that when he was part of his struggle with Protestantism was that everything was vague and fuzzy. And what he what he liked about Catholicism is very it's very clear. Yes, yeah. these are there's rules and there's regulations and there's truth order. and there's order and there's falsehood, and uh, and then in the current papacy under Pope Francis, we're getting a, a, like a lot of unclarity and hmm, what's what do we make of that? And that for him is frustrating. Yeah, the set of contests are very black and white. Yep. So that that's kind of where it, that spirit the the spirit of set of acantism actually is actually very attracted to Protestants. I would know because I of course was a Protestant for a long time, um, and I I found that because I interact with these with these guys occasionally on Twitter just because I've been very curious. It not um, drawn to it at all. It's it's um, let me be charitable here. It is not attracted to me at all. That's a charitable way of saying how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I found that a lot of them um, that I talked to you were Protestants at one point. <clears throat> and it's a funny thing because it's so it's almost uh, it's a in many ways identical Protestantism, but from like almost the reverse angle. It's almost like a paradoxical form of mm. Protestantism um, because they have to rely again on their own interpretation. And that's where. You know, we've talked about this and probably a number of times in the podcast. This is where things get very tricky and where um, obedience and submission, which are underutilized terms, probably even today among Catholic lady and, and words that people yeah. are very afraid of, um, come into come into play pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you said it. I mean, like, what's what's the one thing that makes a Protestant a Protestant. There's there's no unity in doctrine. There's just one thing that all Protestants have in common, and they're that's not Catholic. That they're not Catholic. <laughs> that they that they don't hold to the Pope. That the Pope is not their boss. That the Pope yeah. is not their father. And um, if that's if that's the unifying thing amongst all Protestants, then set of contests fall right on that. They they that's also a don't very have a Pope. Point. Now, I think what you said is is interesting because 
it's interpretation, right? And Protestants, well, it's how we interpret the scripture. And this means this to us, and that means that to you. And we believe in infant baptisms, and we don't believe in infant baptisms, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. I think where the set of Acantis come from is their interpretation of uh, of church doctrine, yeah, not so much scripture, and, but it, and yeah, it's, like it's church doctrine, dogma, these sorts of things. That um, in my my interpretation of this, this pope is no longer pope because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and if, for those that maybe need a definition, um, I think the last valid pope in the seed argument is uh, was Pius the tenth. Well, well, let's okay. So let's let's start at the beginning here. So first of all, sede vacantist means the seat sede is vacant vacantist. So I'm a, if I'm a sede vacantist, I believe that there is there is no pope sitting validly on the chair of Peter. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's what that means. I think there's different. Um, so so uh, I think. SSPX, Society of St. Paul, St. Pius X, is not strictly speaking Sede Vicantis. Okay. Um, I think they have different issues, but I think I think they would mostly say, yeah, the Pope is the Pope. We just don't like him and he can't mess with the liturgy. And you know, so there's, there's other there's other things, but I don't I don't think that they, maybe maybe I'm wrong in that. Certainly there's um there's St. Pius V Society, Society of Pius V which they're set of a contest and they don't believe that there's a valid Pope to go all the way back to St. Pius the, the fifth in the 15th, uh, 16th century. And, and not that, not that those popes are the popes that they say are the last valid Pope or anything like that. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, they're taking their, their name after, after those popes huh. um, from. Uh, so one conversation that my sister and brother-in-law had with, um, some set of a contest priests uh, down where they live. Um, what was they, they were they're asking him like, well, so why don't you believe uh, that the Pope is the Pope? And oh, because um, John the twenty third was a modernist. Ah. He, he fell into modernism, and once a Pope becomes a heretic, he ceases to become a Pope. Be Pope because you can't be you can't be Pope and be a heretic. That's what's protected, you know. Right. Um, and so uh, John the Twenty Third was um, already a modernist, so his 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 election was invalid. He couldn't be validly elected Pope. And then the Pope before him, Pius the um, uh, who is before him, Pius the Twelfth, he became a modernist so at some point during his papacy he ceased to become be he ceased to be the pope so it was whoever was pope before that which was leo the 13th or something um i don't i don't remember i can't believe that. at any rate i mean it gets it gets confusing because you can like well who do you who do you want to who do you want to be your your pope who's the last valid election pope now do you know what modernism is i mean yeah, and it's funny because again, these terms get all convoluted. You know, Bishop Barron's been accused by these guys of being a modernist. Yeah, um, and even probably by some some of the more traditional Catholics of being a modernist. Um, and I think it certainly everyone on that side believes Francis is modernist. As for what it is, my definition would would uh, would probably take a while to wade through. But in <laughs> essence, modernism being a heresy and. Uh, and leaning towards changing on Catholic moral teachings and Catholic social teachings and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was first, 
I think it was first coined by um, Pius the the tenth, and he kind of came out with the syllabus of errors, or you know, this condemning all sorts of like modernistic um, tendencies uh, that you know we're we're progressing towards a utopian um, world and. Um, that things that we believe before we no longer have to believe. And yeah, you know, so there's this, this list of things, right. Um, but it's a, it's a very, it's a very, uh, it, it's, it's not a very, it's not a very, it's not like Arianism. Well, what's Arianism? You don't believe that Jesus is God. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's pretty much it, it's you know, pretty clear. semi-Arianism. Clarity and order. <laughs> yeah. Semi-Arianism is, you don't believe that Jesus is fully God. He's sort of partially God or became God at some point. Um, but but it's pretty easily clearly defined in most of the early heresies where uh, modernism as a heresy is very uh, general. It's very vague. Um, and and this is this is why it becomes the, you know, the um a buzzword. The, yeah, the, the main thing, like, ooh, modern. Nope, he's a modernist. Nope, he's a modernist. Ah, modernist. Ooh, gotcha. Modernist. Uh, <laughs> Heretic hunting. So, right. It's so much fun. Yeah, and because it's so easy. It's so easy to label <laughs> anybody a modernist. Um, and you can you can hit it from so many different directions as yeah. well. So in, in that respect, you can say, well, John the 23rd one time said this and that. That's uh, sort of that's you know you can't say, but who? But but according to whose definition of modernism, right? right? Well, Correct. your your definition. I've I've decided that he's a modernist because my definition of modernism includes you're not allowed to say this or or that or the other thing. Um, so so it, be, it becomes just a, a very easy catch-all heresy. Yeah. So this is my. My take is that there's a general spirit at work here, and my interactions uh, with these individuals have been entirely online, um, although I, I probably talked to one or two folks that I think were they were still in union with Rome, still Catholic, still attending Mass, but you know, they only went to Latin Mass, and they call Pope Francis Bergoglio, and um, they don't believe that Benedict or even JP2 uh, were valid. But they're still, they're not full set of acantes yet, right? So there's a general spirit at work here that I found very interesting because I just asked these people questions like, you know, according to who or based on whose interpretation. And these are very important questions when you're talking to, to Protestants as well and it comes to scripture because then it's always their own. And the same answer was given to me by the set of acantists. Well, I just used uh, simple logic and reasoning. And I responded at once. I said, so basically you're just saying you're smarter than all of us is that it <laughs> and uh one guy at least was honest he's like it's a terrible cross you wouldn't want this and i was like that's awesome oh. so that right there well that and the fact that they're always always 100 of the time anonymous hmm. so these guys have anonymous twitter accounts they never use their a picture of their face they never use their real name often their profile picture is um uh, Bishop Let me Lefebvre. guess, Pope. Oh, <laughs> or, no, the other Pope, Pope Pius uh, the Tenth. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a picture of one of those two, ninety percent of the time. Um, and I, I've, I've asked him like, why, if if this is such a logical thing and this is so important, why do you stay anonymous? And some of them genuinely fear that they're going to be killed by some sort of 
Catholic mafia. <laughs> no way. For, for <laughs> spreading this truth. So let me just wow. say this. That, if you're... <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that to me gets a little bit on the the edge of of paranoia. Yeah. So what you know, I mean, like, I mean, like, what, what's his name, Matt Frad? I mean, he's doing podcasts like about the Muslims and about you know, he's like, it's like <laughs> Guys, he's not afraid of getting. Yeah. So what I would say is, if you've ever been tempted, if you're a listener and you've ever been tempted, it sort of drawn towards that argument or that line of reasoning, just consider the kinds of people that tend to um, hang out in that circle hmm. and spend a little time with them online. There, there is, and I'll make a really bold claim here. Let's just say for a minute, hypothetically, that they're right. As far as I'm concerned, still, even in that moment, the only thing that matters is personal holiness. Mm-hmm. And this is the only thing that we're going to be judged on right yeah i'm not i'm not i'm actually not judged on whether or not i think or i you know like i mean let's go let's go here's a here's a good example back in the 1300s there were three popes and nobody quite knew who the real pope was what's going on and we have saints who thought it was this pope and we have saints who thought it was the other pope interesting yeah and and so it's like well i'm not i'm not going to be judged when i get to when i get to the pearly gates it's not going to be like okay so did you think francis was the true pope or or not like that i mean like i tried to do what i thought was you know right and i tried to be obedient and i tried to live my life in conformity with jesus um yeah that's about the only question i i certainly you know I, i interact a lot with folks on twitter um, my guess is, you know, as I've tried to be charitable, um, God is probably going to show all of those to me someday on <laughs> that particular judgment and be like, let's just go through every interaction you ever had yeah. with other people. You were a uh, jerk here. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get the sense that these folks interacting on Twitter and in the, in the set of a candidate's position, um, are really concerned with that and it, there seems to be a general also spirit of um well I, what i would call an identity crisis and i think we had a i'd have to go back and see which podcast episode was about that but we talked about this before about where we draw our identity from and when it's not rooted in christ or when the attempt is not to root it in christ you 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 just sort of change with the wind and you're sort of reaching out for a group or a community to belong to that that sort of fills avoid in your life and whether that's a father wound or a mother wound or some other wound uh, or lack of identity or or insecurity you just kind of flock towards something that that makes mm. you feel like you have some control and makes you feel like you have some knowledge around something and before you know it you're kind of caught in this rut i mean this is what pulls people for centuries has pulled people into really dangerous colds yeah, right as yeah. i want to belong and have a family well, I mean, I think that I think that's I think that's good. I think that's by and large accurate. You know, we can we can kind of latch on to something. Um, and we talked about this when we talked about Gnosticism. Like there's something attractive about, ooh, ooh, this helps make sense of this predicament that we're in. Yeah. And I found other people who who think this way too. And 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 it helps me to just make sense of this reality. Now, the reality is. 
and this is where my brother-in-law is coming from. And, and he's, you know, he's not, he's not uh, crazy and he's not, you know, he's not evil. He's a, he's a good man. He's trying to be a good husband and father. And, um, and, and I suspect a lot of these people come from this kind of place where he came from, like, but what do we, what do we do with, you know, all these things that we hear and see that Pope Francis has done or different things that other popes have, have said and done. And there's this, this real conundrum and and I think that this is where um, you know the pious faithful have uh, who who are you know like yes the Pope and the Church and we we've actually done a disservice in that we've we've kind of made we've kind of turned the papacy into something that can never never fail or can do yeah. no wrong and that's yeah. that's not accurate at all yeah. the Pope can sin the pope can say things that are wrong the pope can say things that are heretical the pope yeah. can uh hold on to views that are are heretical so so one one thing that we have and maybe we've maybe we've said this before but the the difference between a material heretic and a formal heretic means everything in the catholic church like that is not a yeah. um, a light distinction you know, so let's say, let's say John the Twenty Third did say something that was was uh, certifiably modernist. Like, nope, that's that's heretical. So he's not a heretic until somebody uh, tells him, "Hey, Holy Father, we don't we don't believe that." And here's here's the sources that have have proven it will prove that and say we can't we can't say that sort of thing. So until until somebody says that, and the Pope then says, says no, I'm going to say it anyway, then he's not a heretic. He's just holding on to something. He he has a view in his mind that's heretical. That's material heresy. The material, the stuff he believes is heretical, but until he embodies it and say, yep, nope, I'm holding on to it, then he, he's, not a, he's not a formal heretic until that moment. And only yeah, formal heresy, yeah, only formal heresy is what can um, get us excommunicated or get us, uh, get us in trouble. That's very That's, interesting. Yeah. And I, I found heresy that there's probably, well, everything is rooted in pride. Yes. All of our sin really is rooted in, in pride. I, I genuinely folks can be misled um, maybe through very little to no fault of their own you know, it comes to theological doctrine. Um, but the, you know, the set of candies that I've interacted with, there, there seems to be a general spirit of, um, well, I mean, I said it earlier, you know, their simple, simple logic and reasoning is their answer, which is about the most arrogant thing you could say, even if they don't recognize it. Certainly when you're filled with pride, you probably don't recognize it. Um, but that right there to me is like, okay, let's just say you are right. What does one then do with that information do you then go around trying to convert all faithful catholics devout modernist catholics and the what they call the modernist sect to your side i mean what does one do so at the very least they're honest to, to a degree um but they're using twitter of course to spread this stuff and this is the crazy thing on our episode about conspiracies <laughs> when we opened with uh, a fake conspiracy about something um lies spread so quickly and uh it's very dangerous out there on the internet for 
even even those of us that might consider ourselves to be you know at least attempting to be devout and be holy and and of sound mind there's like so much out there and, and this is this is the crazy thing about heresy is like the devil takes a small little thing that's probably true and maybe even rooted in truth and then he just sort of puts a whole bunch of stuff around it and it makes it very difficult to find the truth anymore online and you just end up buried in like okay this website lists this source from here but it's out of context and it links to this website lists another papal encyclical but it's out of context and before you know it you're just kind of drowning in um in a bunch of half truths not outright lies but just a bunch of half truths and you're kind of led uh, along a route and that, that's actually an extremely manipulative tactic um that people use often to to manipulate yeah, well, especially if you happen to be like some of those guys, insanely intelligent, and you know you can just manipulate people right. at at your whim. But I think that that's true, like the half truths, right? And so here, here's here going going back to okay, let's say that John the twenty third or Pius the twelfth, uh, let's say Pius the twelfth, Pius the twelfth, let's say he did become a modernist and he formally was a modernist and some of his, you know, his bishops and cardinals said, Hey, uh, Holy father, you can't say that. Let's, let's say that he said, Nope, I'm, I'm the Pope and I'm going to do whatever I want. Okay. Uh, so what has to happen at that moment, and this can happen. And historically uh, we have a couple instances of it. The cardinals, the bishops have to get together and hold what was what would be called an imperfect council and then depose the pope and they they can they can do that uh and theologians speculate on how this how this can be done and how it has been done but that would that would what would have that's what would have to happen this imperfect council of bishops would have to come together, say, no, that's heresy. Uh, you recant or we're deposing you. He doesn't recant. They depose him and then elect a new pope. But in absence of that, he he maintains his office. And then the next conclave, they elect a new pope. And unless that pope also is formed, so the argument against Paul uh, John the twenty third is that he was already modernist, and there's a decree somewhere in the fourteen hundreds or something that says somebody who's been uh, who is a heretic can't become pope. Well, heretic means formal heretic. So right. John the twenty third, before he was elected, he was never formally uh, convicted of heresy. He was never formally accused of heresy. So you can't become. You're not a heretic if if that process doesn't happen. You're not a formal heretic. And so again, in that situation, if he continues to say heretical things, a council has to come together and say uh, you are no longer pope. But if that does not happen, he continues to be pope, and and that's where we we would have to say that just in the same way that, I mean, so sometimes the set of a contest want to say, well, then he can, anything can happen because he's not protected by infallibility and anything he says, we can't, we can't trust his bishops, his appointments, blah, blah, blah. To that, I say, well, I, I, that's not, that's not actually true that the Lord can't work through um, bad instruments. I mean, he does this all the time. Early on, the church declared that, you know, as a Donatist in particular, that a, a priest who's a heretic 
can still validly baptize. In fact, we know that an atheist can validly baptize in cases of an emergency. And um, so it doesn't seem problematic to me to say that even if a pope did become a heretic, that the Lord would still protect him uh, from uh, infallible, uh, from infallibly declaring something that was erroneous, uh, so long as he still maintained the office of papacy, even if in um, in a formal way he had defected from the 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 role of the papacy. So it gets it gets super complicated. Um, but what we're, we're not we're not we're not judged or uh, it's not our job to try to like figure out who or when a pope is a valid pope or not our, our default is yeah he's, he's a valid pope and those things that he says that are binding to me uh i have to be obedient to and those things that he says that are not binding to me i do not have to be obedient to and um there might be a little bit of gray in there but not not um not much so we were just experiencing some technical difficulties. So we're going to kind of splice these two together. And if we do it really well, you won't even notice. And you'd be like, Father, what are you talking about? You just told them. You just told them. <laughs> now they'll know. <laughs> but what we think it is, they they found us. <laughs> <laughs> we were wrong about everything we just said. The conspiracy. Yeah, no, there is no pope. No, I. so I don't remember exactly where we were, but... Um, I was told a funny scenario the other day. I don't know if this is true. It could just be one of those um, pious Catholic legend jokes. But apparently there was this group of, um, they weren't sede vacantes because they didn't believe that there was no one on the Pope. I think they were, um, what would they call them? Sede bene contes? <laughs> I don't know. They, um, they, they didn't think that Pope Benedict's uh resignation was valid so they thought that this whole these whole past 10 years benedict was still the true pope so francis pope francis nothing he said counted for anything he was he was an imposter um didn't didn't count so that but when he when he died when pope benedict died recently uh they got together and said okay well we have to have a conclave now because you know, now the Pope has, the rightful Pope has died and we have to have uh, a, a Pope. And so they thought about it and discerned about it and prayed about it. And they said, you know who we should elect for our next Pope? Bergoglio. <laughs> so they elected Pope, uh, uh, they elected Bergoglio and he's now, they call him Pope Francis. And so now we have... Well, after these 10 years, we have a validly um, valid Pope sitting on the throne of Peter, <laughs> which, is, which is great. You know, it's like, well, we could elect somebody else, but then you end up with that problem of like, well, now you have multiple claimants to the throne. Yeah, and that's we don't want to go back to that. We've been back. there before. <laughs> yeah. So here's um, here's something that's really important, though. Um, and, and I think maybe the main argument against uh, holding a position of sedevicantism, that the church teaches, and infallibly so, in the First Vatican Council, that there will always be a, a Peter sitting on the on the chair. There will always be a Pope sitting on the chair. Yep. And um, and that's a hard. You know, it's obviously not. It, 
every every single moment when a pope dies, we we literally enter into a period of sedificantism for about two weeks until you elect the the new pope. Um, but there will always be a pope. There will always be a man uh, sitting on the chair of Peter. And if you hold to sedificantism that we haven't had a valid pope for going on seventy years now. That's a really hard argument to hold. Now, they'll come up with some spiritual way of understanding it. Like, well, no, it doesn't mean that there will always have to be, but there will always be uh, a, a, a papacy, but not necessarily a pope in the papacy. But You're back but, to interpretation again. <laughs> yeah, and you're getting really wide. You're having to do backflips to, um, to, to explain your position. But after 70 years... And how many more years are going to go by? Another 30 years after 100 years? Can you really hold that the, the Lord who promised to P- Peter that he would establish the church on this rock, which is is, is him, and that the ch- gates of hell, hell will never prevail against it? Can you really hold that? Well, yeah, just, I mean, it's just a little 100-year hiatus, you know? Um, yeah. And how do, you have a, how do you even have a valid priesthood? This has been my question. It's like, okay, so then whatever the last Pope was only like only your priests are valid. Then all the other priests on earth are now suddenly not valid. Like how does it know that wouldn't be a problem because uh, bishops are still valid. They're still in the line of the Bishop that they Unless were. They're all modernists. Know. Well, they would be heretics, but they're, I think, I think you'd say they're just like, if I, if I'm in mortal sin or a heretic, I would still validly uh, confect the Eucharist. So, so I don't think that's as big of a problem, but not having a Pope on the chair of Peter for 70 years, that's, that's a problem. Let's see how you can get around like Christ's word and Christ's promises. Like that to me was just all of the sudden, this just, there's just no Pope. And, and, and that's exactly, that's exactly getting back to where, where we started full circle that, um, Every Protestant has to hold that at some point the church defected, that the Pope right. went bad, that the apostles went bad. And it's just a matter of where you think that happens. The, the Mormons say after the apostles died, church defected and apostatized. Um, some, some strict Baptists will say the same thing, that the, yeah. the early church, they apostatized. Um and uh, uh, most most Protestants, Protestant Reformation, they say, yeah, because the church had apostatized and they, it was it was no more. And so Martin Luther and Zwingli and Calvin had to step in and rectify the situation. And um, or you could you could say it was in um, you know the mid 1900s that the popes went went off that they 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 left the chair, they left the faith, and we've just been without it. So at some point, uh, you have to say that. Uh, something something happened. Christ's promise failed. Uh, there was nobody there to carry on the legacy. Yep. And I'm not willing to go there. <laughs> neither am I. And neither should you be, fellow listeners. So um, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's what we got. It's it's complicated, and I think you know, in all charity, we say, well, they're coming from a place of confusion they're coming from a place of this isn't this isn't right there's something wrong yes there there's something wrong uh 
the church is made up of sinners and sometimes those those sinners sit on the chair of peter like, and that can Jesus, be disheartening peter for instance yeah and, and, and we we had a long survived we had a long run of really good popes and then you know uh, we've had a long run in the past of really bad popes and um we make no uh judgment on current church politics you uh, be can think what you want <laughs> go go be holy uh pray that the lord gives us holy holy leaders um because we we see this is the type of thing that happens when um when there's when there's when there's confusions we yeah. we get confused and we want answers the mind wants answers and and it's attempt to to come up with them sometimes it grapples and and grasps onto things that aren't aren't the right the right thing lord have mercy lord have mercy the church is the the seat is not vacant um and the lord will always uh, provide for us amen that's enough for me all right good enough for me thanks see Bobby. you next time at catholic order of foresters we're committed to bringing catholic values to life and financially protecting catholic families right here in minnesota our members enjoy benefits like scholarship eligibility and peace of mind knowing their family is secure even if something happens to them each year thousands join us to support people in need through our feeding god's children events spirituality tap-ins, and mission trips. Wouldn't you love to be a part of an organization that embodies your Catholic values? Find out how you can be a part of Catholic Order of Foresters by calling General Agent Brian Markiton at 763-658-4009. That's Brian at 763-658-4009.